invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, as we look at God's Word together this morning. And one of the beauties of God's Word is its depth and at times its complexity. The Bible is greater than any human novel. It's far more than a fairy tale. And so we can't read it as if we were reading Dr. Seuss or R.L. Stein or Mary Higgins Clark or Stephen King or, or Dan Brown or whoever your favorite author is. We can't always read the Bible as if it's just casual, leisurely reading. It can't always be read in the same way that we would read the Sunday morning newspaper over a cup of coffee. To truly read and to interpret, to apply God's Word, the Bible, to our own lives often takes intentionality, and engagement, and humility, and much prayer as we seek to, to know what it is that God is saying to us. It can't simply be consulted as a dictionary would be consulted for neat, concrete answers all of the time, nor is it meant to be read just like an illustrated children's book that we sit down to right before bed so that we think happy thoughts as we fall asleep. Much of the time, the Bible is a comforting book, a direct book, and a straightforward book, but It is far more than these other books because the Bible is the story of a magnificent, holy, righteous, majestic God creating and calling and redeeming a broken people for Himself, for His glory. And to read it, to spend time in it, to engage with the Word of God is a great privilege that that we've been given, not something that we ought to take lightly. It's not something that everyone throughout history has been able to do, nor is it something that all throughout the world, even today, are able to do. And most of the time, the Bible is fairly straightforward about particular details found in certain passages wherein where all of those that agree that the Word of God is indeed the Word of God, that it is the inspired Word of God, that it is relevant and applicable and authoritative, can come away with confidence as to the historical and cultural setting in which a particular passage or book was written, agreeing about various details. And then there are other times and other portions of God's Word that have been the center of of much debate about specific details and interpretations of what's being communicated. And this morning we have one of those other passages of Scripture. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, indeed may be some of the most debated verses in all of the 50 chapters of Genesis. And we're going to look at it together for a few minutes this morning because when we study Scripture this way, when we work through lengthy sections of Scripture or a particular book of the Bible, we're not afforded the luxury of simply picking and choosing what we want to study and, and read together and, and focus in on. But Scripture tells us very clearly, the Bible tells us very clearly, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and 
rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So look with me for a few minutes this morning at this portion of God's Word that is those very things and is God's Word. And let's see what we can learn from it together. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Bible reads this way. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. and His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Who were these sons of God? Who were these daughters of humans? What does it mean when God said that He's going to limit the days of humans to 120 years? Who were the Nephilim? And how can God regret, regret doing something? When he knows all things. When he knows everything that's going to take place before it ever takes place. These are some of the questions that are often asked about specific details of this particular passage of God's word. And we're going to look at some of these things briefly this morning. But in the midst of all that, those specifics may have developed various interpretations and disagreements and different points, the main truth of this passage and main theological truths, primary points of of this passage are not under debate. They are clear. And we do not, in the midst of these specifics, want to, as the adage says, don't miss the forest for the sake of the trees. Reminds me of recent watchings at the Jones household of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Our daughter has discovered this movie on Netflix and is fascinated by it. And if you know that story, if you know that movie, it's about four kids that were accidentally shrunk in a house by an electromagnetic shrink ray to one-fourth of an inch tall before they're sent out in the yard with the trash. It takes quite some time until they are discovered They're trying to discern where they are among giant blades of grass and monstrous looking insects and dust and trash and dirt and all sorts of other things. And as we look at this passage, we don't want to miss the truth that God is presenting, the truth of God's Word that is evident here as well as through the rest of Scripture. 
in what God has to say to us and for us today. As Alistair Begg, one of my favorite Bible teachers and preachers, often says regarding the Word of God, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And one of the plain truths from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, is that God limits the pervasive wickedness of humanity. God limits the pervasive wickedness of humanity. On a positive note, this point in human history, this point in God's story, the humans that were on the earth were were taking God's command to be fruitful and multiply seriously. They began to increase in number on the earth, verse 1 tells us. But the context of these opening verses and the tone of these verses indicates to us that something about the way they're doing that is, is going terribly wrong. It's not consistent with, with God's design. The sons of God saw that the daughters of human were, humans were beautiful and they married any of them They chose various points have been proposed as to who these sons of of God were. In fact, many believe that that these sons of God were fallen angels, that they were, in essence, demons that had come to earth and intermarried with humans. Others have proposed that they're human tyrannical leaders or kings that are Uh, perhaps even possessed by demons that are marrying humans on the earth. Still others have proposed that that they are the descendants of the godly line, that they're the descendants of the line of Seth. They've intermarried now with descendants of the ungodly line, descendants of the line of Cain. It's the interpretation that I find the most compelling, by the way, the result of that spiritual incompatibility that results of this, these marriages, these arrangements, is corruption, vast corruption in the human race. Two incompatible lines, two spiritually incompatible lines, producing offspring, ignoring God's boundaries for marriage and And his plans to produce godly offspring. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 4, Cain, who was the first murderer as recorded in Scripture, not only Cain, not only was Cain characterized by sin, but his descendants were as well. Descendants characterized by ignoring the plans of God. It was the mass multiplication of sin as a result. But however we understand this, Whoever we say that the sons of of God were, the the point is that there was a perversion of boundaries. There was a perversion of God's boundaries. That His boundaries, that His plans were overlooked and ignored for the sake of of selfish human desires. The language here is very similar to to the fall in Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, was pleasing to the eye, it was desirable. Because it was that, she... She took some and ate some. Even though God had instructed otherwise. In the same way in Genesis chapter 6 verse 2. The sons of God saw that the daughters of human were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. Corruption. Immorality sets in. And it becomes 
rampant. So much so that God says, I'm only going to tolerate this so long. I'm only going to put up with this kind of evil so long. So he plans an intervention. He says, I'm only going to put up with this for 120 years. Two different ways that that number is often understood. Two very reasonable interpretations. One is to understand that God says in verse 3 that his spirit will only remain with humans for 120 years. In other words, this will be a generalized lifespan from this point on. The people won't generally live for longer than 120 years. And then another way is to interpret this is a period of time for repentance before the judgment. My spirit will not contend with humans forever. The days will be 120 years. 120 years before God intervenes and carries out His judgment if repentance does not play, take place. And both of these interpretations are reflected in our various English translations. And my personal preference, if you care, is to see this as a time of repentance, a period of time in which God says, I'm only going to put up with this for 120 years, and then I'm going to exercise my judgment on these people. Peter in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, seems to, to back that sort of interpretation up when he Describes God waiting patiently in the days of Noah. And then we're introduced to another people or group. In verse 4, the Nephilim. Nephilim described as heroes of old, men of renown. Likely the offspring of these spiritually incompatible Unions, But however we understand the Nephilim, the point here is that the Nephilim, no matter how strong they are, no matter how mighty they are, no matter how well known they are on the earth, I could say the same thing about these sons of God, is that they are no match for the coming judgment of God. God is going to carry out His judgment on these people for their immorality. Lack of regard for His way, for His boundaries, for His plans. And as people today who also live on God's earth. Psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. As people who live on God's earth, we will be far better off as well if we honor God's boundaries. Honor God's boundaries. Honor His standards. Obey His His rules, because He is Lord, the God of Scripture, the Creator that's described here in Genesis and throughout the Bible, is the supreme God. In fact, He's the only true God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as a result, what He says goes. He sets the rules. He sets the way. He sets the boundaries. As His creatures, those call ourselves His people, we would do well to honor His boundaries. Thankfully, He is a a patient God. He is a God who is full of mercy and grace. He's a God who is abounding in steadfast love. But He will not tolerate wickedness forever. Though He is a, a gracious God, He is a God who will and must Judge evil. God will judge the world because of the wickedness of humanity. Scripture is clear on this. This passage is is clear on this truth. That God will judge the world because of the wickedness of humanity. Look back at Genesis chapter 
chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth. And His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. In that day, sin was universal. It was pervasive. It was rampant. Is reflected in the actions of these people, but also in their thoughts, the condition of their hearts. And scripture is clear in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and Psalm 139 that the Lord alone knows our actions as well as our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows all about us. He knows every tendency that we have. And the tendency of these people, Scripture makes clear here in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, was Every inclination, every intent of their heart was toward wickedness, toward evil all the time with no regard for the ways of God. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, a lot has changed between The end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God created and He pronounced things very good. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, when His heart is grieved and He regretted having created in the first place. Not because He had done something wrong in creation, but because humanity had done wrong in ignoring His boundaries and ignoring His plan and ignoring His will. Like a cancer that spreads throughout the human body. Sin had spread throughout the human race. No one immune. Reaching to all people because of human wrong. The Lord grieves over sin. He grieves over the sin of His people because He loves them. Because He loves us. But He will judge Wickedness. He will judge sin. So let's, as His people, repent of broken boundaries and a wicked heart. Let's repent of broken boundaries in our own lives where we've rejected God's boundaries and where we've too been characterized by a wicked heart. The truth is, and the good news for us, is that as long as His Spirit contends with us, as long as God's judgment isn't carried out quite yet. There is time for repentance. There is room for repentance. We ought to be a people that are characterized by repentance. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, reflected that truth in Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 7, when he said, spoke these words from the Lord, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted torn down and destroyed. And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, in other words, a nation to be firmly established, and if that nation does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had planned to do to 
truth of God's word presented here is that at some point, there's a point of, of no return. A point in which God will say, enough is enough. I'm only going to tolerate this wickedness so long. And then he does something about it. Then his judgment comes into play. And because that is true, let's repent of broken boundaries. Let's repent of a wicked heart. Let's turn away from sin and a life ruled by sin. And let's turn toward and embrace the ways of God, the things of God, the truths of God. A life that is honoring to God. And the good news is that God, God of the Bible, the true God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. He's a God of overflowing Love in this grace, His grace shows up in the final verse of our passage for this morning. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord, indicating, implying that although humanity was wicked, characterized by evil, characterized by ignoring the plans and the boundaries of God, Noah would be saved from God's coming judgment. And the truth of Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, and the truth of all of God's word is that only the recipients of God's grace escape divine judgment. Only the recipients of God's grace escape divine judgment. Noah was not saved because he had earned salvation before God. We're told in the very next verse, in the very next passage, that Noah was a righteous man. But he wasn't saved simply because he was good enough. We know from Scripture that no one is good enough. No one meets God's standard of holiness, of perfection. No one fully reflects the the truths and the characteristics of God. Noah too, like us, was saved by God's grace. And that grace was reflected in his own faith and a life that demonstrated the righteousness and the way of living that God desires. Only the recipients of God's grace were saved in Noah's day. And church, the truth for us today is that only the recipients of God's grace will be saved on the Lord's day. When the King of kings and Lord of lords returns and takes His people as His own, those who have trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation, for salvation before God, to reign and to rule with Him, while at the same time eternally condemning and judging all of those who have not received the grace of God as displayed through Jesus Christ. Folks, divine judgment is real. It is deserved And it is coming, so we must recognize and receive God's grace. Recognize and receive God's grace. Grace has been extended to you. Grace has been extended to me. Grace has been extended to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming to us, the Lamb of God, who laid down His life for our sake so that we could be forgiven so that we could be restored, so that we can be reconciled, so that we could escape God's coming judgment. Recognize and receive that grace today. The truth, the central truth, the timeless truth from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, is that human wickedness grieves God 
resulting in judgment on the world, which can only be escaped by God's grace. Human wickedness, human evil grieves God, resulting in judgment on the world, which can only be escaped by God's grace. Folks, that is the message of the gospel found here in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. That is the gospel. Though we are sinners, though we have ignored the plans of God, though we have ignored the boundaries of God, deserving the judgment of God, God has provided a way for our salvation. He has provided a way for our grace. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and following. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were lost in sin, separated from God, ruled by sin in our own lives, deserving of the judgment of God, God came to us and laid down His life as a sacrifice for us. Just like Noah was saved by the mercy and the grace of God. We read in Titus chapter 3 that God saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Thank God that He is a God of mercy, a God of grace. And everyone who recognizes and receives that grace receives eternal life through Christ for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done that, you've never repented of the sin in your own life, and recognized and received the grace of God as displayed through Jesus Christ, then I want to urge you to, to do that today. Scripture says that today is the day of salvation. Give your life to Christ today. Recognize that He is Lord today. Recognize that He gave your life, that He spilled His blood, that His body was broken, all as an act of grace so that you and I could escape the coming judgment of God. And if you've already done that, if you've already given your life to Christ, trusted in Christ for salvation, then today we have the opportunity to remember and proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper in our place. So let's remember it in a way that honors God. Let's thank God for the abundant provision of of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ on our behalf. In just a moment, our choir is going to lead us of our choir members, Robert and Pam Reeve, are going to sing a duet about the forgiveness of sins that we have at the cross of Christ as they do. Let's reflect on the abundant life, the forgiveness, the reconciliation, the restoration that we have with our Maker by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Father, we do thank you for these moments in your word. Lord, we thank you for the riches of your word. We thank you for the truths of your word. We thank you for the depth of your word. Lord, although it's at times complex and hard for us to discern, 
fact, we know that we can't discern it without your spirit leading us. We know that the central truths are clear. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of salvation by your grace. Father, be glorified in us today as we remember that grace, as we proclaim that grace through the Lord's Supper. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.